What up, what up? Welcome to Mind Your Hives Beekeeping. I'm your host, Greg Lehman. I'm here with my wonderful wife, Kara Jo. Hello, hello. Yeah, we're getting an episode out like pretty quickly after our last one. Yeah, this is quick turnaround. Yeah, it's I think it's like a roll. week, maybe mm, two weeks. Maybe a little more than two weeks. Oh, <laughs> it feels like a week. Um, but we are, uh, this is episode 24. What's, are, what's the date? It's like August 19th. 8, 19th. Uh, We're outside. You might be able to hear the wind chimes and the goats in the background. Yeah, a little windy, but it's beautiful. This is like a really nice, nice, nice day. It's beautiful. It's the nicest day we had in a long time. It's yeah, beautiful. Yesterday was the same way, just like, you know, 79 or yes, something. It's, I think it's in the 70s. Yeah. So speaking of weather, though. Yeah, weather is important right now. Um. Yeah, what do we, you know, all right, right before we get into like what's going on in our hives and, and everything. Let's crack a beer. Let's definitely crack a beer. Um, and just like also for? our last episode was like a real, I don't know. Somebody used the word vulnerable. I don't really know what that means. Vulnerable? It yeah. just means, I guess we were just like honest about yeah. our struggles. Well, people people reached out and they were really kind and just saying like, you know, appreciate your vulnerability. Two different people said that. I was like, all right, cool. I don't know. Aww. Um, and then people just had... I wish I could repeat some of the private messages we got that were just really good jokes. <laughs> Such good jokes. And people like want to see pictures of uh, the narcissist. Of, yeah. But we can't show pictures. So no, you'll just I, have to picture her in your mind. I'm working hard to open this beer, but it is a, uh, it has a wax, a beeswax top. I there hear it. Go. It's coming. Oh man, shout out our friends in Poughkeepsie, New York, Evan and Emily. This is uh this is a weird beer, dude. Oh, it's the pickle beer. Yeah, so uh Plan B Farm Brewery. This we were their, just up there like a couple weekends ago. Yeah, this is their pickle beer. This is actually from uh August of twenty twenty. So it's a barn beer. They um they cultivate yeast from their beehives every year and it's what they use in their in their as their yeast. Um so this is a barn beer and it's made with cucumber and dill grown on their farm. Cool. They'd use all New York ingredients. Really, really rad spot in uh, Poughkeepsie that everybody should go check out. We love it there. We love it. And them. we were there last weekend or the weekend before that. Kara did like a Kara Joe Wellness little yoga and brunch. Yeah. Um, with uh, Rossi and Sons, which Dude, is like. They're amazing food. I mean, legitimately, I think it got like best sandwich in the country a couple of years ago. Oh, like, really? Their, um, it yeah. was really phenomenal. Their chicken cutlet. They also had like really good pastries. Greg had like seven pastries. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I turned around, he was like like putting more pastries in his mouth. There's three kinds. I had to try all the kinds. Yeah. I mean, there's like pistachio and cream. There was like a almond chocolate. There was a... Um, it was so good. They were really good, but then you did not feel well afterwards. Yeah, that was a little too Oops. much sugar for me. Um, but uh, but yeah, this is a pickle beer. I have, Let's try have it. never tried it, but... Cheers. I'm a big fan of cucumber, a big fan of dill. It smells very pickly. Oh. It's not too pickly, though. Oh, it's still, like, really refreshing. Wow. You get it on the back end. I was just going to say, you get it at the end. It's good. I like it. Yeah, I like it's it, like, too. Yeah, it could be not good. It's good. Yeah, Forest of Maine, we used to do a um, a beer called Banjo every year, which was a cucumber saison. And uh, this is, it was a very tough beer to make just because... Cucumbers have a lot of their own, you know, healthy, but their own bacteria on the skins. And it just made for a very volatile beer. I know the last time they canned it was probably 2020, I, maybe 2019. No, it was probably 2019. And those cans were active. Uh, I don't think they've made it since. I want to keep, like, I just want to keep drinking this. 
It also gets like t- more tart yeah. every time I drink it. Yeah. And this is nicely aged. I mean, this is, you know, three, two, three year beer. Three yeah, year beer. Really good. Um, so yeah, you guys rule. Uh, we, we love your jokes. Please send us as many jokes as you like. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I'm glad we had showed you a little more of like our personal side. I think that's good. I, uh, the kind of the one message that we always get is like, hey, what other beekeeping podcasts are out there? Because everyone I listen to is just like super boring, all information, kind of just like old men talking. I hate beekeeping podcasts. I, I still listen to them because I like it's like, but it's like listening to like a thesis paper or something a lot of times. So I don't know. I think it was good. Maybe this is how we differentiate ourselves. We put a little personality into it personality but whatever you guys rule um i i said it on the last episode but i have lyme disease um not (laughs) not not cool um but i have been on like a doxycycline like a heavy antibiotic for more than two weeks now it's a four week antibiotic treatment um which is like gets really good results and i saw like a very quick turnaround and i got like most some of my energy back and just most I I don't I'm not gonna speak for you but you have way you seem like have way more energy than oh yeah I still get like tired like real earlier than I used to but um but whatever I'm battling um but we talked about it back on episode like two or three about different you know what apotherapy is and different forms of apotherapy and bee venom therapy is one of them and we did a pretty deep dive into BVT specifically with Lyme disease. I had done it before on, um, I'd done bee venom therapy before on scar tissue that I experienced in my leg from multiple surgeries I've had, and I really responded well to it. Um, I, I say the little anecdote every time. I was walking around one day, and I said to Kara, I go, man, my shoes are really comfortable right now. I'm like, she's like, well, they're not new. And I went, oh, man, I think I don't have knee pain for the first time in like 20 years. Yeah, that was big. And that was like a really eye-opening moment. Then I was like, I think the BVT is working. So Greg's been seeing an herbalist um, for the Lyme also. Shout out Rich Mendelbaum in Forestburg, Forestboro, Forestburg, New York. Yeah, um, he's one of my teachers, and he's brilliant. I think we talked about him before. Um, But we were just talking about BVT with him, and he was just like reminding us that the bee venom is like clearing out build up in the joints yeah um and it like just like cleans out metabolic waste that like builds up in joints which is why you also get like joint pain with um, well the 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 lyme bacteria borella whatever i don't i'm not even gonna pretend to say it properly but it it finds its way into your joints into and that's where it like lies dormant that's where it's like finds its home um what is it it eats or it like it's drawn to collagen which like is in cartilage, yeah. which is in your joints. So that's one of the main reasons. Hmm. Um, but it's, yeah, people get like arthritis S symptoms. I mean, I had like really swollen joints. My one hand was like super blown up, like nutty professor style. And it, you couldn't even like move one part of your body. Yeah, it was my, so Yeah, right light, side of my like body was like locked up. borderline paralyzed. I mean, it wasn't paralyzed, but like it was difficult to move it. It was nuts. Yeah. So, so that's cool. Um, but yeah, check it. I mean, man. Check out that episode back in the day. Yeah, really. you, like the big thing is, is that I don't think you just said this, but that uh, that uh, bee venom therapy. You just said it crosses no, the no, blood brain barrier, and so does the bacteria that causes Lyme disease. So it can cross the blood brain barrier and attack that. And you've also been taking um, 
I think this is how you say it, cryptolepsis, um, yeah. which is it's a, a... It's a tincture, it's right? It's a plant, yeah. The, is the plant cryptolepsis? Yes. Is that like the name of the plant? Okay, I thought, yeah. I was wondering if it was a group of stuff that was in a tincture, but it's that's a it's single just plant. It's pl- yep. Wow, okay. Um, and it treats Babesia, which is like another, I think, bacteria that's associated with Lyme. Um, which is interesting because Greg started taking the doxycycline, felt better, and then started taking the cryptolepsis and felt worse. Yeah, I had like the symptoms come back, but that is a sign that toxins are being killed and released into your body. I mean, so, you know, medicine, whether it's herbs or whatever it is, you know, attack those ba- that bacteria, but then there's all those dead cells. And a lot of times <laughs> I'm looking at Moe's, our goat right now, and he's trying to chew on another goat's collar while pulling her and she's just laying there like whatever dude um i kind of want to stop him but i won't um moses the best he's so funny the goats are so cute yeah if you're not following cara joe b farm on instagram the goats have like taken over our our social media (laughs) over there because they're just so fun they're entertaining endlessly um Sorry, I got totally sidetracked. But the the toxins get, you know, those that bacteria gets killed, but then those toxins get released and then your body has to process it. Kara's going to talk later on about some helpful ways to do that within our herb corner segment. In our herb corner segment. <laughs> um, but it made for these symptoms come back. I got a fever again. I got... Real sick. Re- I was like really tired, like a nauseousness, a lightheadedness. I was like, you got to keep taking this real herb. Bad, yeah, real bad headache. <laughs> Um, and it lasted maybe like 24, 36 hours and luckily dissipated again. But it made me go like, I feel like that cryptolepsis is working. Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah. There's a lot of research behind that one. Um, but so many people out there have told, have told me since they found out I had Lyme that have said like, I thought I had Lyme. I went to a doctor. The doctor said, no, it's not Lyme. You're crazy. And then went and got a second opinion. Turned out I had Lyme. And there's this half, I don't know if it's half, but there's huge segment of the medical community that like doesn't think Lyme is a thing or it's nuts. And the testing for Lyme is crazy inaccurate. They really, they have not figured out a proper way to test that is, you know, feasible for every, you know, medical place to be doing. But the, the current test that's recommended by CDC, it's like a three part test. It's only 60% accurate. It's 10% more accurate than flipping a coin. Hmm. Uh, Fortunately, I had, a, a bullseye rash. I actually had like 20 bullseye rashes all over my body, which is like a very definite, like you have Lyme. Yeah. So when you walk and in, then, they're like, we're putting you on this. Yeah. And then the test came back like, wow, you have crazy high levels of this bacteria. One of the, as soon as Greg got um, sick, I um, sent him, Stephen Buhner um, is an herbalist. Um, it's the same thing with beekeeping. You ask three herbalists a question, you get four answers. Um, but he has a lot of information on Lyme um, that's, you know, again, people He's, can he centered with, his but. He centered his research studies on Lyme in a very deep, deep way. and uh, I think it's called Healing Lyme. Is that what Healing it's called? Healing Lyme, yeah. It's, very, it's, it's a book that's meant for like clinicians or whatever that term would be. Um, so it's very scientific, but there are more like layman's terms chapters for sure but it is it is like research style and you've learned a lot from that book oh yeah yeah it's nuts so so yeah um check that out and and you know hopefully nobody else is out there battling lime but if you're battling something maybe look it up it's literally and now in every state it's pretty nuts so many people since i've been like greg has lime they're like oh i had lime like yeah. i'm like you did i didn't know that 
So I think we're going to have to sting you today a little yeah. bit later. Yeah. So we're up to doing four stings on my on my spinal cord along my back or on my back along my spinal cord. Um, so we're, we're up to four now. I've been doing it for a couple of weeks. I started. We started with two and then worked three and then four. So you know, I think. A lot of protocols will work up to 10. I didn't want to just crazy dive into it. I'm still getting stung beekeeping a decent amount. So I'm getting a lot of venom in me, period. But I'm getting really good at grabbing bees and stinging Greg. Yeah, true dot. Yo, you can hear I, the chickens. I was just going to say it, yeah. We got to just tell them about the chickens. So the chickens have, I mean, we've gone through a huge transition and the chickens have gone through a huge transition. Just in moving. Yeah, and, moving. Yeah, totally. And like they had like a temporary home and it was just this whole big move right and um i don't know how smooth it was for them and so i've read about hens turning into roosters and we have a hen that's transitioning into a rooster and it's it from what i've read it's like a one in ten thousand and she's i mean she started maybe two or three weeks ago kara goes hey jules who by the way she's called jules because she's like the prettiest she was very snobby as a just little real, baby. Just a little stuck-up pretty girl. <laughs> so I was like, mm, Jules. Um, but she, I mean, has been laying eggs. Like, it's not like she She's just She's still is like laying. A, I watched her lay today because we thought maybe she would stop, but she hasn't. Yeah, and so she was like, Jules is like chasing me and acting real rooster-like. It's pretty nuts. I was like, nuts. I got in a fight. I had to fight Jules today. <laughs> Someone's like, I hope you didn't get hurt. I'm like, oh, no, I won the fight. <laughs> That's not the problem. And then a couple weeks, a week or two later, we look, she, Kara goes, Greg, she's growing a spur. Like and a big spur. So on chickens, on roosters, on male chickens, they have this like bone claw spur that grows out of their ankle that is like pretty gnarly. Um, I it's think funny. it's Up used at, to like pin down and yeah, rape, rape. The hens. I think it's also used to stab, you know predators and okay. stuff i mean roosters like protect their flock which is pretty cool um which is funny evan at plan b and i are like trying to wrangle this rooster and <laughs> there's a second they have a second rooster that's a uh, jersey giant so it's huge black rooster and its spur is like six seven inches long it's huge is it curved it's so gnarly yeah i don't know it's pretty straight honestly okay. it, some of them get curved it looked like he was just ready to like you know, it's like a shiv and prison. Just come <laughs> on, ski, ski, ski. <laughs> Gnarly. And then we get home and you're like, oh my God, Jules, who I'm referring to as Julian. Now, I like to call her Rue now. Yeah, is uh, is transitioning and grew one. And so she crazy. just starts screaming. She'll just scream like she's trying to crow. Yeah. Yeah. Which we were just listening to. Yeah. Um, that's just nuts. So I had some notes on what we we're going to. Oh, dude. So what? Do we, what's going on in the hives? Let's actually talk some beekeeping here. Yeah, so um, we were, after everything that happened, we weren't sure what we were going to find when we went into the beehives. And everybody's doing, like, pretty good. We have some, like, um, population drop-offs, the ones that were, like, closed up longer. We did notice that, like, we lost just some population because I think they just, like, stayed at the other location. Yeah, we, pro we probably cooked in the, tr you know, when you have to move bees in the middle of July unexpectedly... Um, <laughs> yeah, I just what a what a shitty person. Um, when you have to move bees in the middle of, of July, it you know some bad things are going to happen, unfortunately. And we tried to do it as best we could, but I think we probably had some brood die off just because it got like overheated. 
Um, we definitely lost a bunch of foragers just because you can seal up hives only so good. So you're going to lose some bees that way. Um, and then a lot of that's going to just throw off the dynamic of these hives and they might take a little bit to reset to get that queen laying back to her potential. I did find that the ones that were closed up longer had like a population dip. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, but we, you know, we got them all here and we harvested summer honey. We had a great spring crop. We try to harvest honey three times a year. Um, in many years, we're not able to get a fall crop. We, we, you know, that may, mostly is going to go to the bees. Um, but if there's extras, it's really great to get a fall crop and see just that, you know, change of color and change of taste. Um, so as the seasons go, the honey gets darker. Um, so anyway, so we pulled all our summer honey and we were really, really happy with the, the harvest. It blew our minds. So much honey. Yeah. We were um, like not sure what to expect we've had a really hot summer but we've had like really heavy rains almost weekly it feels like where you know it's like it's a drought but then there's just a monsoon in the middle of it and i think that's kept nectar flowing um i mean there's more of a it's more they're, they're acting more dirty than they have i mean we've got our solar wax melter out right now and the second you open that thing up to load more, I mean, there are bees on you and any frame or anything is just getting swamped with bees. They don't seem too pissy, though. Right. They're not they're not aggressively doing it, but they're very much like, oh, easy source going to it. Where yeah. in the spring, they're like, yo, there's ample nectar everywhere. Why are we going to mess with you? We're going to stick to plants. Also, some seasons during the dearth, you just go outside and they're like, we're angry. We're just oh, going to yeah. like, sting you. Or they're like we all over life. you just like literally like sniffing you like licking you you know looking for water looking for sugar you know i mean just the sweat on your body we sometimes see bees attracted to us we really like haven't the minerals i don't know but we haven't noticed it this year we noticed we noticed it like a few years ago where it was like man these bees are on us they're not like stinging and aggressive but like they're on us um, so pretty good temperament overall. Yeah. I got to say, we're sitting in the gazebo right now in our backyard, right next to the goat pen and chicken pen. This gazebo, I have so much, like, uh, Carrie, you're the English teacher, like reverence for, like, thank, I'm so thankful for, like yeah. we were talking about the other night, just the craziness of, of phase one of, you know, demo, demolishing our house to start the rebuild. Gutting and just, the like, house. Gutting the house. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it fucking demolished. Uh, Demolish us. <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, no electricity and just gutting it and working all day long, getting up in the morning, coming here, working all day in there, getting done because it's just too dark to see properly and then coming out here and I would just like crack a beer, put on the radio and listen to the Orioles. Shout out Baltimore Orioles first in the AL East. Um, Listen to the Orioles game, drink a beer, just sit. And then, like, you would usually go, like, all right, I got to go. And I'd be like, I'm going to have one more beer and sit here. Yeah, I, I can't go move to bed. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> and just, like, uh, so it's just nice talking in here. It's just, like, a good, there's something good about the positive about I know, I hope this sounds this. okay in here. It's not annoying to people. Yeah. And I, there's one really rad wind chime. I don't know how much you're hearing it, but it's beautiful. Hopefully it really not annoying. Um, all right, so we harvested all our summer honey. Right after we did that, it's yo, it is time to check for mites. We did um, it while, so I was pulling honey yeah. and then we were like boom, pulling boom. a frame and checking for mites um, in each hive. And 
Well, you to tell talk about the mite us checking for mites. I'm gonna look and do a quick count of the percentage that were over our threshold, our six mite threshold. Um, all right. So, so just tell yeah. Them, yeah. So um, I was taking off the supers, and then I usually sometimes like in the third box, it was nice. I didn't even have to remove anything else. Um, toward the middle of the box in the brood nest, pull a frame, and you're looking for a frame. An ideal frame, you don't always get this, is has like six-day-old larva. Some of the larva is already getting capped. So like the center of the frame is going to have like capped brood. And then as you go out further, the brood's going to get younger and younger. Um, ideally, that's happening on both sides. Again, that's not always happening. And the reason, and the, and the way that you identify six-day-old larva is just like it's big, fat, juicy larva next to capped bird. Um, and the reason that you want that is the mites are the mites are brilliant, unfortunately, and they um, are going to it, they're gonna go into those cells because they know that they're getting capped um, and they want to get under there because they reproduce underneath the capped cells. So you take that frame, triple check make sure there's not a queen on the frame and you also need to make sure that there's enough bees on the frame like sometimes i would just take two frames um just to make sure and then you take them away from the hive i say a little thank you to the bees for their sacrifice for this live testing and then um knock them into a tupperware container with rounded corners so in this like testing area I got a bucket um, a bin it's not a bucket with rounded corners I have a scoop that's a half cup scoop I've got my um, half gallon jug of water with I think it's like half a gallon is it a half gallon is that a half gallon mason jar yes half gallon mason jar with one tablespoon of dawn dish soap and and then we just have that like mite checker from Amazon's like yellow and a rag so knock the bees into the bucket, put them all in the corner of the bucket or bin, scoop out a half a cup, put them in that hive checker container that's got the water. Mite checker. Yeah, mite checker. Uh, yeah, mite checker. Um, that's got the water in it with the Dawn dish soap, screw it up, and then just I try to drown them real quick so that they're not like suffering, and then I just let it sit. And the, You, you want to shake, you want to um, rattle it, shake it, a little bit for one minute. Well, no, I let it sit first. Oh, okay. You let it sit for like 30 seconds, but sometimes I just like let it sit and then I rattle it. I think that's what, um, what's his face? What's that guy's name? Yeah. Scientific, scientific. Be beekeeping. Yeah. Randy Oliver, um, said, and then, and then I just like go close up the hives and then I'll come back and then shake it for a minute. Like agitate it for a minute. Yeah. And then I even do it like again. Yeah. So two different minutes. Um, and then let it sit, let all the mites drop and then count the mites. So that doesn't really take too long. And then you can kind of like work the whole situation, like work the hive while you're kind of like letting it sit and letting them drop. And then, um, yeah. So did that over and over and over and over again. Yeah. So we did that to 51 hives, um, over the course of a couple days and, um, I, I'm pretty blown away now. Virtually all of these hives are either 
splits from this year. So, you know, we split just about almost everybody, if not everybody, in April and May. Um, so all these hives are either splits or hives that have been have been requeened through our splitting process, um, which the requeening process is a really beautiful brood break, which we talked about two episodes ago. I brought it back up in the beginning of last episode, how there's integrated pest management, IPM, um, where requeening, you know, doing a split with a requeen and um, getting that brood break is going to really help knock down your mite population because they procreate within the capped cells so when you have a brood break you eliminate the capped cells allows the bees to fight the mites a little bit more themselves allows the mites to be just out in the open they can't create procreate as much um but so out of those 51 hives i just did the math seven only 17 of them tested six mites excuse me more than six mites oh okay isn't that nuts felt like we had to treat a lot of them not really when i just went through it i was like that's not bad at all yeah. That's um, good. Yeah. So. I mean, we'll have to check back in September and yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. We'll so have that, to do it all again. But. I mean, we're in the time period where we're checking every month. Um, and, you know, even the hives we just treated, we will check, test them again uh, September 1st to see if they, we did, in fact, knock down that population. So we may do another round of formic. Or I guess, did we even talk about it? We did. We didn't even talk about yeah, it. Yeah. So this time of year, what we'll do if they test over six mites in a 300 mite sample which is that half cup okay so that's two percent um there are places that recommend one so if you have over three mites you treat but everybody has their own thing we decided a few years ago we were going to make the number six and um since doing that we've had extraordinarily great success Great success. Great success very nice um so yeah 17 of the 51 hives were six were over six mites um, a ton of just like two mites, um, a lot. There were five mites. So, you know, there's a, there, the, our bee inspector, shout out Jeff Eckel, came and did an inspection on our apiary last week. And um, we were talking about it. And, you know, we're always talking about mite treatments, obviously, because he's looking for disease, most of which is vectored by mites. And he was saying, like, you know, there's just this, uh, this error, that, this um, margin of error when you're doing the testing, whether, you know, he uses alcohol. It, kills the bees quicker um we use dawn dish soap um a lot more inexpensive when we started doing it alcohol wasn't readily available because it was the pandemic we also did um windshield washer fluid yep. but then you have to it's just more and economical not, to and do it with i'm soap. not entirely sure how environmental that is it's safe yeah. to just be like just throwing you know dish water uh, windshield wiper fluid i don't yeah. Know. Also, some people don't like the suds of the soap, but I don't really feel like that's like Goes that big of a deal. Yeah. It doesn't really affect the testing or anything. Agreed. Um, and if you want to f- learn more about these techniques, scientificbeekeeping.com. Randy Oliver, he's definitely the forefront in researching methods for mite um, His checking mite levels. Not that it's very scientific. Yeah, it's not that user friendly. You have to like to do the dish on soap. You have to like scroll. Just don't give up. Just keep looking. Keep at reading. It. <laughs> um, so this time of year, what we'll use is we'll, we only use organic treatment methods, okay? So um, Robin Underwood with Penn State Extension, um, she's now, I think, like in charge of like uh, education, beekeeping education for the state of Pennsylvania. Um, but she's had these research projects going for years now with um, hundreds of hives all throughout the state of Pennsylvania and a little in like West Virginia. 
and um, seeing, you know, on each farm, they she would have, I believe it was 10 hives that were treated with organic methods, 10 hives that were treated with um, conventional. conventional, which would be like inorganic, but still treating, and then 10 hives that were treatment free. And um, the, the, the information that's come back and the research that's come back, the data that's come back has very easily shown that the organic methods have been the most successful. Um, the, the treatment free methods made the study almost impossible to do because she is, just didn't have bees surviving. Um, and the conventional, she had bees surviving, but they weren't putting out as much honey. They weren't putting, they weren't surviving it as good of a rate. Um, so we do what, what is considered the organic beekeeping standard. A lot of that is integrated pest management, like we talked about, and then only treating organically. So that would be oxalic acid. That would be, um, Formic acid. Formic Pro. That would be, I guess, HopGuard would fall under that category. Does anybody use HopGuard anymore? No. Nah, I, I, I mean, everything I've read is like not worth it. Even when we used HopGuard, we didn't like it. Yeah. It had like adverse effects I on wanted the, the I wanted to like it because it's made from hops and, you know, beer industry. Hello. But mm, not the best. So anyway, we use Formic Pro. Formic Pro allows you to treat the hives while there is honey on the hives. Um, we didn't happen to have honey on these hives because we had just done our harvest, but I think that's really, um, great to know because think about it. Like, are you really treating your hives with something that you wouldn't want in the honey? Like, even if you don't have honey supers on and you're treating with something else, like that's still getting into the beeswax. I mean, they show apivar is a non-organic treatment. Um, not only is that been shown that there's residue left in beeswax residue left in honey, um, not safe for human consumption, but also um, it shows that mites can create a resistance to it. You know, uh, I don't fully, oxalic acid, I don't fully understand, but it, but doesn't it, it like burn burns the legs off the mites? It burns their feet so they can't cling to the bees. So like you can't resist that. You, we're, you, I'm never going to build a resistance to like flame on my hand. Unless you're a rat, because rats can build resistance to anything. <laughs> yeah, that one documentary, rats, rats. so gnarly. Um, so, like, I, you know, I don't worry about oxalic acid building resistance because I just don't think that's possible. Um, yeah, it has not been proven yet. Though. Formic is a is a very concentrated dose of thymol, I believe, like literally, like thyme, thymol. Um, I don't know, understand fully if they can build up a resistance to that, but it's also why we we'll both do oxalic and then alternate and do formic. We're not just doing one. And the thing about formic is it, it treats underneath the capped it, brood. If you do, so there's two methods of formic. One is one single strip in the brood above the brood chamber for 10 days. And then a second single strip for another 10 days. So that's a 20 day treatment. The other one is two strips in the brood chamber for 14 days that in research that I've seen, speakers that I've seen talk about this research, um, showed to penetrate under the cappings and kill mites in the cappings, which where is they're reproducing a very big deal. When if you were to do an oxalic acid, say vaporization or dribble, you would need to do it every four or five days for like 20 plus days, um, in order to make sure you're able to cycle through and get them all the mites that were under cells. You know, if like you do it every four hatching. or five days, they 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 hat quote unquote hatch out or um, emerge, emerge out of the cells, and they get popped. Um, 
if you just did like oxalic acid once, you know, it'll get all the phoretic mites or the mites that are on the bees themselves, but it's not going to get any that are reproducing in the cells. So that's not going to help a ton. Um, so we did formic on a um, little more than half or about half the hives that we treated. Our other out yard that we work um, is in an area where the temperatures did not line up. So we actually what we did was we were like, we, we're not going to be able to treat these them for like seven or 10 days looking at the weather out, out, outcast, out forecast, forecast. <laughs> Whoa. You should have a sip of beer. I'm going to help yeah, you. Yeah. I just, I'm talking a mile a minute right now. Um, because the forecast was too warm. So the first three days of doing formic, you don't want the temperature to exceed 85 degrees. And then for the next, you know, 10 to 14, you don't want it to go over 92 degrees. However, Weather is unpredictable now, and True dad. we plotted it out at our home apiary, put them on, and like the weather people lied to us, and it got lied hotter. To us, it's so it's, I mean, what happens is it can have effect on queens, and it can have effect on brood. Yeah. So when those 14 days are up, we're going to have to go in, we're going to have to see, like, are these hives still queen right? What's the condition? Yeah. And we'll have to like adapt to whatever we find but gosh darn it that's yeah annoying. there was like one day that it in the first three days that it went to, we saw it went up to 87 now we like you know that's playing it close but still it's not something i would have done on purpose yeah you know it said 83 and we went all right it's still cutting it close but we got to do it so the other apiary is just in a hotter location and not as not in as much shade and we saw the forecast looked a little too hot so we actually brought the generator out and we did an oxalic acid vaporization to just give them an initial knockdown. So any of those mites that were outside of the cap cells, knock them down and just give them a little bit of a, 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 a little help in fighting those mites until we can go back and put in formic and give them a proper formic treatment. Um, so I think looking at it like er, early this coming week, we're going to be able to do that. Um, but we had some numbers of mites in that, those hives. Like we had one that was like 30 mites. Yeah. And, um, and also like just, you know, communicating with the bees and going in, those hives were irritated. There were a few we that in. were definitely showing yeah. signs of irritation. And the, in the apiary that we're sitting next to right now, there was one hive that was very, very, very high at 38 mites, I believe in a, in a 300. So over 10% mite load. Um, and when I went back to take that was actually formic that we put on on the very beginning of of august so i took it off yesterday you take them out after 14 days that hive was still real pissy mm. and it was just interesting when i went back in the notes and i was like man hive 10 really pissy and then looked that was the one with the highest mite load um so i'm definitely curious to see how much we've knocked that one down and if we're going to need to do another you know an oxalic treatment in september or what but yeah so you can look at like you're doing these mite tests but you can also, what is the temperament of the hive? Like, I used to think, oh, this queen's such a bitch. Let's kill her. But it's, no, it's, it's a symptom. It's really not. I mean, it could be, but yeah. I think rarely is it the genetics, and most often it is a symptom of something else going on in that hive. Why is why are the bees angry? Right. In in where we live, down south, and there's a, there's a, a, a guy that um, I go back and forth with um, on Instagram and he was just saying he caught a really nasty swarm, and uh, and he said it turns out they were Africanized. And I said, oh, how did you find out? Um, I I don't know Instagram. He sent me back a few voice memos, and I can't get them to play. I don't know what 
if it's like a setting thing or what, but uh, I said, I was like, I can't listen. It's not working. So I'm curious how he figured out that they were Africanized. And then he said he requeened them, which is like, dude, you're doing the right things. Well played. There's Kima. She barks at um, birds of prey. She protects our chickens. So when hawks are flying over, she goes and chases after them and warns everybody. I love it. And you also want to look at the brood when you go in. That's like an important thing to do is, um, you know, are they uncapping the brood? Um, What does the actual brood and the larva look like? Is it swimming in pollen? Do they have enough pollen in there? And like some, some, like, it's also nice when you have more than one hive, but some hives that I went in, I was like, wow, this larva is bright white and just yeah. like beautiful. Swimming in royal jelly. And it's just like, whoa, this hive is so healthy. And then other ones, they're not as white. So you can really, just taking a look at that and starting to familiarize yourself rather than, you know, when you open up your hive, what are you looking at? That's like go a little deeper. You know, you're not just looking to, for a queen. You're not just looking for eggs or larvae. You're looking how the eggs and larvae are looking compared to these other hives you're checking out. That whole, that whole, uh, uh, see, my, my Lyme disease brain, I think, is just, you can hear it in me. I have, like, fogginess, which is a symptom of Lyme. I've noticed it for sure. Um, or I'm just dumb. Yeah, I think that's why. I just be dumb. <laughs> but pattern recognition. So, you know, what is, what are you, are you seeing different, you know, colorations, different, you know, uh, levels of health that you can, you know, visually see from hive to hive. So we've talked about this. We haven't talked about this in a minute, but um, the field guide to honeybees and their maladies. Um, it's a Penn State Extension field guide. Um, some places when you look it up to buy it is like insanely expensive. And I think you or can go to get, Penn State. Yeah, Extension. you can get it for ten dollars. So yeah. don't buy it. Anywhere yeah, don't else. get on like Amazon for thirty bucks. Um, or like other apiaries like reselling it to you. Rude. Um, but that's like a simple one. You can look at it and just start you don't have to find everything. Like start small. Like, okay, let me just notice when they're uncapping brood and like what that looks like, right? Or let me notice the color of the brood. Like so um I think that's also really important as we talk about just pest management. Yeah, you know I saw somebody on the Instagrams uh feels a few months ago, but like, you know, it's like suggested person, whatever. And I look at this post and all these people are like, I'm so sorry that you're dealing with this. Like this is such a tragedy. I'm like, what is going on? I go back a few posts. So this woman for like the second or third year in a row had all of her bees die. And so she burned all of her hive equipment. Oh what? <laughs> And I'm like, oh, man, she must have had foul brood. Like, that's terrible. And then sure enough, she's like, no, didn't have foul brood. Just, you know, there must be issues with this. And it's like, did you test for mites, lady? Nope. This person must be have so much money to be doing that. And then, that. That well, no, ridiculous. she's like, this is costing me so much money. Woe is me. I had to burn all my hives. It's like, <laughs> you're an uneducated beekeeper that doesn't know what they're doing. And now you're destroying all of this equipment, like, so wasteful. And then I go back a few more posts, and guess what kind of beekeeper she is? Treatment prey. Flow hiver. Oh. So it's like, I, I'm sure flow hive. There's, I'm sure there it it can be fine, but if you're not start when you start out beekeeping, start out with a regular Langstroth normal beehive setup. Learn to keep bees without some plastic Kickstarter campaign, whatever. Uh, chauncey setup that 
gets you honey just flowing right out of the hive. No, no. Learn how to beekeep first. Learn about pest management. And then if you still want to do a flow hive, cool. Go check it out and maybe you'll like it. Uh, unfortunately, almost every beekeeper that I see doing flow hive does not know how to keep bees. And they think they're like, you know, oh, this is such a trendy, fun hobby to do. And you're like, you're making it worse on the entire yeah, environment. And it really is. Like <clears throat> flow hive and then they like... Yep, you're fitting the box that yeah. I'm tracking with your flow hive. And I wasn't expecting it. She's burning all of her equipment. I'm not expecting it. And then I go back. Is she back burning and, her flow hives too? I, I would hope, really, really <laughs> hope not. But again, this lady wasn't testing for mites and then just assumed she had to burn thousands of dollars of equipment. So annoying. So we, I think it's important that we, so we treat over six, but a lot of people treat over three. Yeah. Right? I, ta I already talked about that. Oh, you um, did? Okay. Yeah. And if you go, I, Be Informed Partnership, B-I-P, Be Informed Partnership has a wonderful tool online for just, it has the different options for treating. They're going to recommend three and that's totally fine. I'm not going to knock them for it. We're just, we're not. And I, I like to think that the fact that we're seeing less than a third of our hives over that threshold, whereas last year it was about two thirds of our hives that had tested over the threshold at this same time. I like to think that our genetics are controlling mites a little bit better. Uh, but at the same time, we know we need to interject. We're not, you know, our goal, everybody's goal should be treatment free, but it can only be treatment free if the mites aren't there because those mites are spreading disease. And then our honeybees, our non-native honeybees are vectoring disease to native bees, to native pollinators. And that is terrible. So if we need to knock down mite loads in order to help protect the bees that are the save the bees, bees, mm. all of our natives, mm. not our honeybees. Uh, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> so I'm all over the place. Um, oh, I think it's good. We've mentioned this before, but I thought it was very interesting when we tested for mites in the spring, like nobody, literally nobody tested over six mites. Um, and then we had re read a study or listened to a speaker talk about a study that mentioned how, in the springtime, there's a much greater percentage of drones that are carrying the mites versus nurse bees. And then come summertime, late spring into summer, the mites transition and they start being more on the nurse bees. Um, what, you know, when we're taking a frame that Kara mentioned, we're taking a frame that has, you know, larva about to get capped. You're not getting drones on those frames. So when you're doing the tests, we're not really testing any drones. So you know, a lot of times I think you go from like, man, no mites in the spring and then, wow, huge mites come summer. That could also be a factor in it um, to think about. And I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to have different, you know, ways to test in the spring that that kind of are a better sample size in the future. Um, yeah, testing. I have a note here. Testing before and after versus blind treatment, a.k.a. over treatment. And the fact that we have to realize that every treatment, no matter whether it's organic or conventional or whatever, it does affect brood. So um, this is something that the bee inspector and I are always talking about, too, is you have to test for those mites. If you're just going in, if you're just going in and treating everybody, Which whether you test or not. Do. OK, like at least you're treating. Okay, so you're you're being a safer beekeeper in protecting, like I just went on a pedestal about protecting native bees and all that. You're doing that, and that's fine. Like, not everybody has the time, although I'd argue if you don't have time to properly beekeep, you shouldn't beekeep. Uh, but not everybody has the time to be doing the testing. Not everybody's comfortable enough doing the testing. Again, I, I'd say do if it. you're not comfortable enough, you shouldn't be, whatever. Um, 
but I get it. I'm not going to sit here and judge people. I do judge people that just... <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and judge people. I do judge people. I'm not going to sit here and judge people that are you know, trying to do the right thing. I will judge people that are just straight up lazy that aren't going to test or treat at all. And they try to convince you that it's making for better. Be It's not. It's all BS. It's just you're a lazy beekeeper. And just admit that and I'm... Whatever. You're a lazy beekeeper. Um, but I want to know if the mite treatment is working. Yeah, it's huge. You know, you might have done something wrong. The weather might have not contributed. There things can happen where you're you think you did the right thing, but it didn't work. So, not only do you need to test beforehand, you need to test after, and that helps. Where we're testing once a month right now at this point, anyway. Starting June, we test once a month um, to be able to see. You know, ideally, really, it would probably make sense for me to the day that I pull that formic off to immediately test to see if it knocked down. I'm not going to. I'm going to wait a couple of weeks and test again. Just that's how we roll. But you got to test before and after and see if it's working. And if it's not, why isn't working? You got to change up your strategy. You got to do use a different thing. Maybe your formic is expired. Maybe your whatever vaporizer is not working properly. You don't realize it. Maybe, you know, who knows? Um, but you got to see what's happening or try different method of treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't, I mentioned like over treatment, every treatment, whether it's oxalic acid vapor, whether it's formic, whether it's apivar, whether it's max, whether it's whatever those gel johns are, whether it's hot, it still damages brood and causes stress. You're still interfering with pheromones. You're still affecting the hive as a whole. Um, and I'm going to try not to do that. So we've created the threshold that we have and we only treat when it's over that threshold. It's also, it's really not that big of a deal to, to test. It's not, it doesn't take that much time. And it, yes, you're killing 300 bees. Um, oh, we didn't fully talk about testing. We started off as beekeepers doing a sugar roll. That was what we were taught to do. That teacher didn't know what they were doing. They were one of those old school teachers that didn't think and learn and keep, you know, evolving. <laughs> Hater. And well, when I... you when you dive into recent studies, it shows the bees, people were like, well, you're not killing the bees when you do sugar shakes. You're actually are. They're dying later on. They're suffering more because you're, you're stuffing their body with this powdered sugar. Well, because they don't breathe. They don't have lungs. They like breathe so through their bodies and, and then you clog up their bodies and then they die of suffocation. Yeah. And also it is wildly inaccurate. There, the conditions need to be right. There needs to be no moisture. It's such an inaccurate way to test for mites. It's crazy. Um, nobody should be telling anyone to do sugar rolls. It is a thing of the past. Um, then we evolved, like Kara mentioned, into using you know alcohol, windshield wiper fluid, and we've settled in Dawn dish soap. Um, but yeah, if you're doing a sugar roll, I'm sure there's a ton of YouTube videos out there. I'm sure there's a lot of instructors that are still telling people to do it. It's pointless. You're not helping. You're it's not also saving not bees. As easy. Like I think that way harder, yeah, it's just way more messier. Annoying. Yeah, especially right now when they're being a little dirty. Oh my you, god! Could you imagine? Oh, and then in the spring, there's too much nectar where you knock a frame of bees and you're they're covered, <laughs> they're covered in moisture, and then you're just clogging them up with powdered sugar. Terrible. Don't do powdered sugar. Um, over treatment. We talked about organic methods. Um, OAV. Oh, we, the Queen Castle. So we know that formic as a treatment can cause some superseding to happen, especially in like a two or three year old queen. I have not noticed it really affecting new queens 
Um, and I'm sure the temperature is affecting this completely. Like a, a, if it's hotter in the hive, then I think there's going to be a more, more of the formic is going to get released and it creates a little harsher of an environment. So, you know, if you're make sure you're keeping it within that temperature range that it's that you're instructed to. Um, and formic pro has a little video. If it's you such a great go video. On Google that so tells easy. you what to do. Um, ignore the one strip, 10 days, one strip, 10 days, and do two strips for 14 days. But otherwise it's a really great video, um, instructional video. But, um, we did notice that we had had some supersedure get sparked by Formic in the past. So I make sure that our Queen Castle, um, if you go on our YouTube page, I did a video for um, just a mini presentation on how we do Queen Castles. And I have one that I need to do for a presentation on Thursday about how we merge those bees into hives. Um, so that'll be on YouTube soon. Uh, and I still owe everybody like a splits video on YouTube that is just not on my radar right now. But... Um, we the queen castle is doing great and we were like all right we got this made a queen now we don't want to leave her in the queen castle any longer so we up potted um i thought up potting was a term that everybody used it's a plant term that's yeah. why we use it for bees so you know the queen castle has three frames we take those three frames we put it in a five frame nuke box so we add two and fortunately we have built out frames so we add two built out frames so what up pot means in a plant is you have a plant in a little pot and then it's getting too big for that little pot so you put it in a bigger pot so it can grow bigger yeah so. perfect yep so did you put another beer on top of my pickle beer no oh is this a different beer yeah oh i was even like oh this doesn't taste so much like pickles anymore. Yeah, this is the Plan B barn beer, oh, which well, is like their house a little, beer, which is beautiful. Uh, mixture for yeah, you. <laughs> I was like, oh, this beer is less pickly. Wait, my beer is come. I just way thought more I was getting used to the taste. <laughs> way more full. <laughs> Thanks, Kara. Two beers, one cup. Um, so, uh, Queen Castle, we up potted. We took took those bees from the Queen Castle, put them in a nuke, uh, uh, taped the tape that nuke shut brought it to a friend's house that's more than two miles away let it sit for a day and a night we'll open it up there and let open it, it up let it sit for a day and a night they recalibrate their gps then we closed them up at night brought them back here um and i had them closed up while i did the inspections of the the hives that were either queenless before or we had treated with formic to make sure that they still had a queen um in case we needed to you know merge them in and turns out we didn't so we were, we were able to fill a spot in our uh, apiary that was empty. So we have a new hive in, a, in actually hive spot one. Um, and I will say, this is not the time of year to start a new hive. No, unless. Unless you have those built out frames and you are ready to make sure you're feeding them and you're giving them resources and you're getting them going. Um, but if I, I unfortunately have seen people that are like, yeah, I just got bees and it's mid-August and you're like, Oh, do you, you don't need them to build frames, right? Like, no, no, yeah, I don't have any frames, but that's like, dude, you, that hive's not going to be able to build and get through winter. No way. That's nuts. Like, come on, man. No. And beekeepers shouldn't be selling bees to people that aren't able to. I find that building really only happens in the spring. I mean, you can feed one-to-one -one syrup right now and you would have them building. However, that's going to create an, an environment of robbing right now i mean that's gonna that's it's a tough thing to be doing. how the bees have been being like sniffing it out i've been putting like we've been um 
harvesting honey and then taking the wet frames and putting them on top of the hives. So when hopefully the fall flow comes, they're ready and they're, you put a wet super on a hive and all the other bees are like, let me in here. Yeah. Like it's nuts. So we up potted some nukes into 10 frame equipment um, a few, maybe a month ago at this point, or a few weeks ago for sure. And when the inspector was here and we were looking at those hives, he pulls the frame and he goes, I don't, there's something going on here. He goes, I don't quite know what it is. He's like, it doesn't look like brood chew outs. He's like, but there's something going on here that these frames look a little bit different. So he's like, I would make sure to keep an eye on this. And then I looked in my notes and sure enough, those were hives that had, they were up potted in a really dry week. And we noticed robbing. We noticed when we, when we up potted those frames, you know, we took a nuke that was maybe two or three boxes. So like 10, 15 frames and we put it in a 30 frame setup. Well, 10 or 15 of those frames were from what were wet supers frames. So we're, you know, recently extracted honey frames and we put them in and that caused all the bees around it to go like, yo, there's honey scraps here. Yeah. And the population wasn't that big because it was a new, yeah, so I, I was like so I watching from the window. I'm like, I oh, hope they're okay. I know. So I, you know, it was like, shit, are you they getting killed? You got to close up the hive. Like you can't have any gaps on the side as best as possible. But then the front. Yeah. yeah. And that hive is the one that I just replaced the lid on. The lid was like a little wonky mm. where it wasn't totally so so they could get in the top. So they were getting in the top. Damn yeah, it. I know. So, um, yeah, the box was like a little uneven, so it mm. didn't allow the lid to sit flush. Um, but I, it, I looked in the notes. It was like, Oh, this, and it was like, yep, that was probably like, they were chewed out cells from a few weeks ago and they look a little more normal now, but that's why this, these frames look different. Bingo. It's like, man, that's why you want your state. Yeah. inspector to come to your right. hives because they see so many things that they can yeah. just be like oh this looks a this little looks wonky different you're like what are you even talking about um we still have two resource nukes going so we still have two nukes that were splits that we made and that we have used to like steal brood from take we've done queen replacement we've merged queen from the resource nuke in and we put a queen cell or a new virgin queen or a newly mated queen from the queen castle into the resource nuke we still have those two going so we know for you know some of the future treatments if we have issues we still have some backups i still highly recommend that you have resource nukes um i mean there's beekeepers that for every one or two hives they have a backup hive uh we have about 10 percent. so at, at the peak of the season we'll have about five resource nukes to our 50 current hives um but yeah, we just merged. We just merged a few. We're down, you know, from five to two. It's great, but resource nukes hugely beneficial. Yeah, big time. Um, they can also build frames for you if you need them. Yeah, frame steel. factories. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, share. A few years ago, when we really went from like two, <laughs> two or three hives to like uh, 13, 12, 13, yeah. 15, um, we were using nukes to build frames. We were making frame factories because that was the biggest thing we were lacking was frames, and without those built-out frames. It's hard to get bees through the winter. And, and then you can like combine them before the winter if you need to or whatever. Yeah. We'll talk maybe next episode. We can talk about combine, combining hives because that's a topic of conversation, you know, at our next general meeting for our bee club. It's why I'm doing the presentation on how to merge oh, okay. hives. Um, and I think people are going to be talking about that a lot. So that, that could be a really good topic coming up. 
Um, that's all like the notes I had on stuff. I did want Kara to rock out a little herb corner today. Yeah, we were going to talk about to bring it back to the inspiration was the whole um, lime situation. And yes. also, I guess, our beer drinking during this podcast. It, I mean, it, it adds up. Yeah. So um, if you don't know about Milk Thistle. You're about to know, beekeeper. Um, and Milk Thistle is, uh, I, I feel like more and more people are learning about Milk Thistle, especially people that drink, I feel like, are learning more so and more about Milk Thistle. You'll like this. Um, comedian and, uh, you know, like internet sensation, uh, popular cool dude, Bert Kreischer. Okay. Um, so like stand up comedian, but now he's like way mainstream and he's super popular. There's a movie it's, it's called the machine. It's, it's, I'm not gonna lie. It's worth seeing. It's kind of funny. I liked it. Yeah. Um, Mark Hamill, like Luke Skywalker plays his dad, which is like just crazy seeing a stand up with like a major motion picture with a major it was, actor. It was a well-produced movie. It was legit. Yeah. Um, but Bert Kreischer was joking with somebody on an interview or like a podcast recently and the one comedian's wife called him and was like, you better not be hanging out with those girls or whatever, like complaining, you better not be doing whatever, whatever. And then Bert Kreischer's wife called him and was like, you better be taking your milk thistle. It's <laughs> <That's> perfect. <laughs> and I was like proud. I was like, way to go, Leanne. Like, respect. He he drinks a lot. He needs milk thistle. And Kara's going to teach us why. And even if you don't drink, period, um, we just live in such a toxic world that <clears throat> our livers could use some support. They're working overtime. And then also if you're just battling anything like Lyme disease or any kind of... Um, you're in a situation where your body is trying to detox um, from a sickness or an illness or whatever it is. Milk thistle is definitely our friend. And the great thing about uh, milk thistle, I talked about energetics last time and energetics are like an important part of um, herbs. So like I said, uh, certain plants are like cooling or warming or drying or moistening and so, you know, if you've really dry skin and you run hot, you're not going to want to take an herb that's hot and dry because it's just going to exacerbate your situation. Um, but milk thistle is neutral. It's neutral in um, temperature. It's neutral in um, all of those. What would it be called if it was like moist or dry? But it's it's neutral. So it's pretty balanced for almost every single person um and what it oh i thought you were gonna say something gonna, which makes sense because it's supporting your liver which is doing functions all the time it's not like like you said it's not just i'm sick i need to support my liver it's like we always need to be supporting our liver so it's good milk thistle is such like a use anytime in any scenario and you're good type. Yeah. yeah yeah so you can be confident in doing that um so it is it protects your liver it um oh, this is really interesting about milk thistle um milk thistle signals your liver so like like you have your liver right and then you have all these toxins and they're circling around your body and one of the things that milk thistle does is it signals to the liver to not take in all of the toxins at once so these toxins are coming in and your liver liver will take in some of the toxins and then it says, okay, we're not taking you it's all like a, in. It's like a bouncer. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a liver bouncer. And then then the toxins will go back around through your body and then your liver will take in more. So it's not like allowing your liver to over... Is that referred to as like upregulation or I like... no idea. I feel like I hear the term like things support something regular now upregulating is a thing yeah that I, you don't know what upregulating is um i could probably spit something but i don't know if it's right so spit i'm not that going hot, to spit that hot I'm fire i'm not gonna do it yeah right. <laughs> i'm gonna try to figure out what that means because i hear it all the time and i'm like yeah yeah upregulation like i don't know what that means it also helps the liver to not only produce bile but like um push bile through your body in like a downward movement to like get rid of toxins because bile will carry toxins, um, pick up toxins and take them through your body and essentially you want to pee and poop them out. Um, so it milk thistle also helps with that. Um, it helps with um, inflammation modulation. It helps like it's a neuroprotective. So it's helping like, you know, protect your... Um, uh, not neurons, like your brain and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, all those receptors. Yeah. Um, it neutralizes toxins. So, I mean, it does a lot of stuff. But um, And an easy way to take milk thistle is through capsules. And um, we take Gaia capsules. That's Ga- the brand, herbs. brand yeah, name, G-A-I-A. Yeah, because the thing with herbs is that you need to realize is like you can take lots of people produce lots of different herbs right but like are they being produced in the right way and milk thistle i'm growing milk thistle right now and i'm like oh i'm gonna grow milk thistle because we take it all the time and then i learned in my class like just how complicated it is to take and that you're you're just how complicated it is to, to make. create yeah 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 it's not complicated to take um take from the plant and make into medicine um, i'm still gonna try it though and i'll let you know how that goes um but through capsules and also through tincture, um, Herbalist and Alchemist is a wonderful resource also that you can take it. Um, so, yeah. It's interesting thinking about, um, wow, Kima going nuts on a hawk. Um, it's interesting thinking about just like every aspect of everything is like, what what is the quality? You know, we talk about, food quality and you know we buy organic we try to buy local you know regenerative farms produce and stuff like that and And i like Mm. yeah yeah, oh yeah and i like to think there's more health hold on so um it's just interesting to think like everything what's the quality of it and i mean i'm pretty sure you can buy uh, vitamins and herbs in most like bodega you know uh gas station convenience stores and guess what some people need to do that and if that's what you need to do then i mean it's better than not yes right because because herbs and supplements can get expensive um big time and that's why maybe not milk thistle is like a good one to grow and make your own medicine with but that's why i'm going to keep telling you like different ways to kind of do this um but but when i was meeting you know had a consultation with our herbalist he said you know let me know what you're taking and but also let me know where it where it's from because it was that big of a deal for him. Like you need to, you're fighting Lyme. You have a Lyme protocol. You need to be using the stuff that is trusted and we know is good. And I, you know, otherwise you're wasting money. Yeah. Made in the right way, harvested at the right time. So like I said, sorry um, for my interjection. 
interject, my friend. Um, so it's, you also want to make sure you're pooping, right? So not a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ew. And so dandelion can be really good to pair with milk thistle. Turmeric can be really good to pair with milk thistle because people can make dandelion tea pretty easily. Absolutely. We have like a dandelion tea blend that we drink, but yeah, dandelion tea is super easy in the springtime. Yeah. And you can probably add honey to it because dandelion is pretty bitter. Um, but that will help detox and then help you poop and then help the inflammation. So like a dandelion turmeric um, milk thistle blend could be really good for for detoxing. Um, so yeah. But yeah, milk. Did you mention milk thistle t- milk thistle tincture? I did. Okay, cool. What about I, it? you? Had mentioned pills for sure, but yeah, I said herbalist Nakamas is a great place to get it, but it it can get really expensive. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, let's say you can't. Afford milk thistle, make sure you're pooping and you're peeing. But you know what else is expensive? A doctor's appointment because you're jacked up because you're not supporting your liver. You know, it's proactive versus reactive medicine. And it's uh, it's a tough line in the healthcare system we live in. It's so true. But, you know, it's like where we spend, Karen and I, we don't spend a lot of money. And the money we spend, it's like on food. It's on nutrition. It's It's on on herbs. Herbs. Like that's where we're focusing our money attention i so like it's when i hear you go like i know it's expensive it's like it can be though it can there's priorities in life that i think are a lot of times jacked up on people where like i didn't know about supporting my body with herbs and tinctures but like i bet in the long run i'm saving a ton of money right living this way i agree i hope i think so (laughs) So, all right i'm getting on pedestals again so i'm gonna stop uh, Isn't this what the platform's for? <laughs> your pedestal? Yeah. Um, yo, thank you so much. If you have listened this whole time and this far. You're a rock star. We appreciate you. We love doing this. So thanks for listening yeah, and, to um, us. <laughs> yeah, thanks for listening to us. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Y'all rule. We love you. Cheers. Peace. <laughs> Yellow jackets are out.